Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Good morning. Welcome to Holding Ground on KKNW 1150 AM, where every Monday morning we bring you a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. I am your host, Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington, and I'm joined with my, by my co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is here with me today. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura, and good morning to our listeners. I just want to remind our listeners that they can listen to any of our past episodes anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, or you can check out our web- website, anchorlighttherapy.com. Fantastic. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about eating disorders, what they are, how to identify them, and what to do if you or someone you care about needs help or treatment. So I'm very excited that we have a guest to join us on this topic today, Dawn Kenner. Um, she is a licensed clinical psychotherapist with training experience and expertise providing diagnosis and treatment interventions to patients with a variety of psychological difficulties, and she specializes in treating the entire spectrum of eating disorders. Dawn has worked in a variety of clinical settings, including the Renfrew Center and Cornell University, and has been an honorary international speaker on the topic of eating disorders. She's also an advocate for education support and improved access to care for eating disorders. Dawn, welcome to the show. We are so glad that you're here to join us and offer some insight and guidance to our listeners. Thank you so much, Laura and Michelle. So, John, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about your practice and, and the clients that you work with? Yeah, so um, I do, uh, as you've said, uh, specialize in treating eating disorders, and I, I also am a generalist, and, and we are. You know, I have um, some wonderful therapists working at the Kenner Center. Um, we, we specialize in eating disorders, but then are able to treat people just coming in with just general issues as well. Um, but really have a passion for eating disorders, love the topic. I think it's such a great field. Yes, yes. And so the Kenner Center is a practice in Fremont in the Seattle area, correct? That's right. Yes. Cool. Well, I think this is a really important topic. Um, We know that eating disorders can be very difficult to treat, especially since like addiction, people often believe it's a condition that's a choice instead of seeing it as a psychiatric illness. Um, And we also know that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any other psychiatric illness. They increase a client's risk of suicide as well as present a significant risk to the patient's physical health. So mm-hmm. I was looking up some statistics on eating disorders and I came across a few that I thought were interesting. According to the National Eating Disorder Association, young people between the ages of 15 and 24 with anorexia have 10, 10 times the risk of dying compared to their same age peers. Also, males represent 25% of individuals with uh, anorexia, and they're at a higher risk of dying in part because they're often diagnosed later, since many people assume males don't have eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So Dawn, first, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to define what an eating disorder is, and then I would love to hear some more about why they're so difficult to treat. So an eating disorder is, it, it, is an abnormal eating habits that threaten your life or, um, or your health, and it's characterized by persistent disrupted eating behaviors, which leads to change in dietary intake, impaired physical health, and psychosocial problems. So basically, any kind of behaviors that are interfering with your functioning, your health functioning, your social functioning, mm-hmm. um, and can lead you to some serious problems. Um, so Don, we're wondering what are some early signs of an eating disorder? Yeah, so dieting is so normalized in our culture. I think that is the number one predicting factor of developing an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So definitely anybody who's dieting, it's like it's 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 almost encouraged in in our culture, mm-hmm. but that's definitely a sign. It doesn't mean that if someone is on a diet that they have an eating disorder, but it's definitely a warning sign and it's a slippery slope. You know, if you combine dieting with a certain type of personality disorder, it could just lead to really big problems. 
Um, you know, it's, and, and it's interesting that you say that when we were preparing for this show, I was thinking about uh, social media and Instagram and how many accounts talk about clean eating and uh, different types of competitive, like figure bodybuilding and things like that. Do you notice that any of that has had an impact on eating disorders or that are they on the rise since we have yeah. more access to this kind of information? Well, media has shifted. So definitely it used to be a while ago that it was media, just like movies and magazines. And now certainly it's social media. And there's a lot of research that shows that, you know, when people are looking at what is perceived as this ideal body or what even, it might not even be a real image mm-hmm. on what people are seeing. It, it has an effect on individuals' body satisfaction which leads to eating disorders, you know, really poor body image. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big deal. I, I see it all the time. And sometimes people spend a lot of time on social media and it really affects how they feel about themselves. Do we know why someone would develop a, an eating disorder? Um, you know, of course these images have an impact, but some people look at this and don't develop eating disorders. So are there certain traits that trigger that? Yeah, you know, you know, there's not one reason anybody can get an eating disorder. None of us are inflated from it. Uh, but, you know, one thing could be, like I said before, just going on a diet. Um, per- certain personality types, it's just easier to get. Um, kind of like that perfectionist uh, personality, uh, someone who has difficulty uh, related to uh, emotion regulation could ha- mm-hmm. could end up using an eating disorder. Um, certainly a history of trauma, um, environmental factors, and there is a genetic component. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Dawn, I was actually going to ask about that because I've seen a lot of clients developing eating disorders because of past trauma, like being bullied in school about their weight or even being shamed by their caregivers um, as a young child. Um, I've seen clients who have been forced into some sort of Weight Watchers or something like that, and they develop this uh, sense of self that, you know, I don't look good enough. Um, So I'm wondering what, uh, what are some links you see between trauma and PTSD? and eating disorders? Yeah, there's a significant link. Um, The rates of eating disorders are generally higher in people who experience trauma and and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, So, you know, the the research shows that history of trauma has an effect um, on people developing an eating disorder. Um, So, depending on what kind of trauma, certainly I see that all the time where people have that history, childhood history and family of origin, uh, you know, being put on a diet or shamed about their body. And and it's so horrible. It's so uh, oppressive to to people, you know, what we do know is that uh, for a long time, practitioners in the eating disorder field kind of avoided addressing trauma, certainly like really when it comes to, you know, sexual trauma, that's a big one because um, it can cause body image issues related to, you know, just guilt and shame and all kinds of stuff. But for the longest time, it's been, people have been thinking, well, we need to address the eating disorder first. We can't really focus on the trauma, but now it's, it's generally understood that you need to address the trauma as well. You know, if there's a way to address the eating disorder and the trauma, that's really that you best that through it. I've seen that a lot with um, clients with addiction as well, where, you know, we have to focus on the addiction. You have to get into a 12-step program. You have to solely, you know, focus on your behaviors, right? But really, it's the underneath reason why we are doing these behaviors, right? Where it really um, originates from, originates from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You do want to, you know, it depends on what kind of treatment model you're looking at. A lot of times it's a big focus on just the behaviors, at least at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, but certainly looking at, you know, the origin of things, how things started, it's of value. And, and even looking at any kind of significant trauma, you do want to address it. All right. Well, let's just take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and continue discussing how you can help yourself or someone you care about that is struggling with an eating disorder. Remember, you can find me and Michelle at anchorlighttherapy.com. And Dawn, where can our listeners find you if they'd like to contact you? I have a website, thekennercenter.com. Great. Well, you are listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. 
Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. During warm months, wildfires can burn across the Arctic tundra. When fall arrives, cooler, wetter weather usually helps extinguish the fires. But some only appear to be gone. Despite the blanket of winter snow, they re-emerge in spring, returning to life like zombies. Jessica McCarty is director of the Geospatial Analysis Research Center at Miami University in Ohio. She says a zombie fire can occur when wildfire burns in peatlands, areas that are covered with a carbon-rich layer of dead plants. The fire gets so hot that it burrows down into the peat and moves underground, even after the surface fire is extinguished. So that when spring melt occurs, it dries out the soil above it and allows the fire to reemerge on the surface. She says zombie fires are a growing risk as the climate warms. As permafrost thaws, as more Arctic peatland dries out, there'll just be more fuel for them to burn. So the likelihood of them does increase for that reason. These fires are hard to find and monitor in the Arctic because of harsh winter weather. So like their namesake, zombie fires are difficult to kill. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. All right. Welcome back to Holding Ground. I'm here with the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective, Laura Richer. And today we're joined by our special guest, Don Kenner from the Kenner Center for Psychotherapy. And she's here to talk to us today about eating disorders. So this is such a great conversation. I think there's so much more to be said on uh, eating disorders than what we normally hear about. I am, I'm I think most people are probably aware of the terms anorexia and bulimia. Yeah. Uh, do you, and, but there's such a wide spectrum of things that can, in eating disorders that can manifest in all kinds of way. What are some of the other things, Dawn, that you, that you treat when you're working with clients? Well, you know, a lot, generally, like what you were saying, there's all kinds of things. What we're saying is that there's a spectrum. A lot of times people can just be classified as anorexic or bulimic, but a lot of times there is a spectrum of people maybe vacillate and what their eating disorder is over the course of, of having it. Um, so, you know, even in treatment, let's just say someone's anorexic, we want to look out for someone not to go on the other end and become mm-hmm. bulimic and start other behaviors. You know, the, the goal is stable eating, having a peace with your body um, and food. Do you treat clients that, um, I, I think one of the misconceptions that about eating disorders is that someone would look extremely underweight or ill if they were suffering from an eating disorder. And, and that often is not the case, correct? No, no, of course not. No. I mean, people can be, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, particularly thin and be suffering from an eating disorder, but they could be anybody. It it doesn't discriminate body type. Certainly not. Um, and, And that's what's so sad about, you know, I'll have clients have really, um, bad visits at the doctor's office. It's pretty, it can be pretty bad because a lot, there's a lot of fat shaming mm-hmm. because of health issues. Um, when there's so many health issues related to the thin body types that are just completely ignored. Yeah. Does I have, uh, one of my fellow students in graduate school works in eating disorders. Um, and she works with people who are, um, 
overweight or considered obese. And that she said oftentimes they're denied medical care. Like she would give the example of one of her clients who had a brain tumor that was totally dismissed. And they related everything back to the fact that he was overweight. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really the the movement is a health at every size movement, Mm -hmm. just accepting size diversity and health and community and challenging any judgments you have about thin ideals. Um, you know, and I've heard so, so many stories like the one that I mentioned of, or, or I've even had my own clients who really did need to go see a doctor. Maybe they hadn't been in 10 years, but they didn't want to go because they knew that the doctor was going to tell them that they were overweight. Do you think there's just some misinformation about, or why is, yes. it, why is, is that so prevalent, there, do you think? There is misinformation. Um, there's a lot of pressure. That's what the education is in the medical community, at least in the Western medical community, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, the BMI is culturally biased. It's mm-hmm. not an accurate measure of health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I remember having a coworker who I'm sure did not have an eating disorder, seemed very healthy and balanced and physically fit. Um, and, and, no one would look at him and think he was obese for that. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I certainly didn't, but we, we worked at a hospital at the time and every year he would, we had to do these like health screenings. And if you didn't fit like the health, like basically if your BMI didn't fit within the range of healthy, you had to do these extra things or pay a fine. Mm-hmm. And he, every year missed it. He failed it. And it would have to do all these extra things for wow. his insurance premium. But it, it's just so ridiculous. And, you know, there's so many factors, cultural factors, and we just have diversity in shape and size. And it's the BMI was created by insurance companies. It's not an accurate measure. Well, and how shaming is that to have to pay a fine because you don't fall <laughs> no, into this, right? this category? <laughs> or wow. if he didn't pay a fine, like he had to pay a higher fee for his insurance. He had to go through yeah. like, I think it was eight weeks of training on how to be a healthy you. It was ridiculous. Oh, oh wow. Speaking, speaking on medical conditions that can cause this, I see a lot of clients, you know, going off their antidepressants or, you know, other psychiatric medications because this huge side effect is weight gain. So they'd rather look good than feel good, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's really sad. I mean, certainly it's, if a medication is causing any kind of side effects, it can be distressing for people. So there's some validity to it. On the other hand, you have to look at what the greater good is and what you need to do to, to have, you know, an effective life. So just making good holistic choices. Um, so jumping into more of these definitions for our listeners, uh, Dawn, um, can you tell us um, if avoidant or restrictive food intake is any different than anorexia? Yeah, you know, so it is an eating disorder in the DSM, uh, but it's a little bit different. So it's, you know, it's known as kind of like people with, that are picky eaters. Um, but, and then so there will be restrictive eating patterns and uh, accompanied by and a failure to meet appropriate nutritional needs. So you could see that in kids as not making appropriate gains in their growth and in adults, Mm. significant weight loss. Um, But what's missing and makes it different from the other eating disorders that we're talking about is that there's no evidence of body image disturbance or any kind of drive for thinness. Thank you. So, and also... Another form I think that sometimes people aren't aware of is uh, using extreme exercise for weight loss. Is that something that you come across very often or sports anorexia? Yeah. So, you know, people do use exercise as a way of, it's kind of a form of purging. Oftentimes it's an eating disorder behavior, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's something else. And I think that's what you're getting at. Like with this athletic, there's something called female athlete triad and it's the triad of particular for females, but men also do over-exercising and use it as a behavior, but particular to female athletes, it's this relationship of the three of menstrual dysfunction or manorrhea, mm-hmm. uh, low energy or restricting, and decreased mo- bone density, and what we know as osteoporosis. Uh, so it's a serious health issue, but it's also an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, it's really, uh, you know, it can be hard to work with on the one hand, it's great to work with athletes. I find it very rewarding. On the other hand, it's so challenging because 
there's such a drive, you know, sometimes there are sports that were, that are focused on making weight or weight related sports. I remember I worked with a runner who wanted to weigh less so she could be faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the way to work with that is focusing on nutrition and fueling your body. You need, you know, not all athletes have an eating disorder, but athletes who don't fuel themselves enough do. So how do you know, because I mean, some people train quite, you know, hours a day for their sport. And maybe that is, I guess, if they're training for the Olympics or something that that is appropriate, but when do you start to notice that someone's getting into a more dangerous, uh, unhealthy territory? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one, if they're not fueling enough, that's a sign that this is dangerous. You're not eating enough for the amount of energy you're outputting. Two is the mindset. If I don't exercise, how is it going to be? Do they have obsessive thoughts? Can they not tolerate that anxiety? Is it a high level of anxiety for not exercising at times? Mm, So, you know, looking at their thought process, looking at obviously the fuel, you know, are they eating enough for it? Because you can exercise as much as you want, as long as you're taking care of your body and fueling enough. Um, Right. The movement is kind of this mindful exercise uh, approach. And same thing with food, you know, there's this kind of eating food and moderation and variety. The same thing goes for exercise, just to push for moderation and variety in exercise, not just cardio. You're trying to encourage flexibility and and obviously fueling enough for for that. So Dawn, I kind of see this a lot um, with body image disturbance and maybe you can define that, but also specifically what I see in some clients is an OCD related behavior where they're constantly mirror checking or seeking validation from others that, you know, I look good um, and, you know, fixing like mirror checking sometimes is, you know, associated with, oh, they're a narcissist. They want to keep looking at themselves, but in truth, they're looking for some sort of imperfection to focus on. And again, that can be compensating with eating um, and, you know, needing validation from others to an excessive amount um, to validate that they look okay. Yeah, it's not uncommon for for individuals who suffer from eating disorders to do a lot of body checking, you know, Mm -hmm. looking at them, you're looking at specific parts of their body, really focusing on that. Um, And then uh, it's, so the focus is on, you know, definitely identifying someone with an eating disorder. I think that would be another factor is looking at, okay, how much body image disturbance do you have? Um, how much time are you spending in front of the mirror focused on different parts of your body? Um, and, you know, ha- have that general body dissatisfaction. How much dis- distress are you having? And uh, how much is that leading to the quality of life you have? What are some of the signs that people can look for to know that they've gone into an unhealthy place? What I think is interesting, um, and I don't work with clients who have eating disorders, but I definitely work with clients who have uh, negative self uh, body image and, and really a distorted view of how they look. However, they don't necessarily even perceive that it's an issue. It's because it's so ingrained that, you know, I need to be on a diet. I need to be within the uh, BMI scale or whatever the the standard is. So what can people look out for to know that they're really going into a place that isn't healthy? You know, I I think that one's hard because like you said, it's so ingrained in our culture. It's so normalized that, Mm -hmm. well, dieting, yeah. And the strive for thinness, well, of course. What's nice is that things are shifting. Things are beginning to shift. I can see it. I I don't know if you guys have, but in social media, I just on advertisements, I see more diversity in body shapes. So hopefully that that pressure over time lessens and our culture changes things. Yeah. But, um, you, you know, I think for individuals, for loved ones of individuals, paying attention to that and challenging it. So if someone is using negative body talk, you know, negative talk period, challenging that and wait, what's that about? Mm-hmm. Um, so whether, you know, you're a, a, someone in the helping field or you're, you know, a, a support member, a loved one, d- don't ignore that. That's, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, um, and if someone has such significant body image dissatisfaction, it, it is another sign of perhaps they might have an eating disorder. So definitely look into that and assess further. 
Absolutely. And it is, there are positive shifts happening in advertising, which is really hopeful that maybe we'll, because I think anytime, even if it isn't, you're not in a full-blown eating disorder, but you're just constantly mirror checking and finding things wrong, it's always going to take a toll on you and have a negative impact on your mental health. Well, yeah. If you look at yourself and perceive such negative things, or, you know, really the worst thing is comparing. Comparing is so, we know that comparing is so unhealthy for us. And comparing to these unrealistic images, which are likely, you know, altered um, electronically, it, it's just a lose-lose situation. Yeah. So even yeah. noticing that you're doing and just stopping, like, I can't do this. Yeah. And if you have trouble stopping, then getting some help to, because mm-hmm. there is, you don't have to do that. There are things that you can do to change your mindset. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's take another quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you a few more questions, Dawn, about the pandemic and what what impact that's had on clients who are Mm, uh, struggling with eating disorders. So we'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. High school sports are as American as apple pie. And going to a game or meet is a chance to see the stars of tomorrow shine today. But as anybody who's ever attended a high school sporting event in Washington knows, you can't have the stars without the stripes. High schools are currently looking for new officials in almost every sport. Who looks good in stripes? Anybody looking for a way to stay connected to a sport they love. If you like the idea of giving back to your community while earning a few extra bucks, chances are you'd look good in stripes too. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. No officials means no games. No stripes means no stars. And what kind of America would that be? Washington needs more high school officials. Go to highschoolofficials.com to sign up or learn more. That's highschoolofficials.com. Do you make a positive difference in the world? Do you have a talent, philosophy, base of knowledge, product or service that you know could help a lot of people if only you could reach them? Join Alternative Talk 1150's family of broadcasters and start walking down a fruitful path. As host of your very own program, dial 425-653-1150 and find out just how affordable it can be to have a show on 1150 AM. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Alternative Talk 1150, talk radio for the body, mind, and soul. Welcome back to Holding Ground, where we have a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health here on KKNW every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm here with the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective, Laura Richer, and today we are joined by our special guest, Don Kenner from the Kenner Center of Psychotherapy. And in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about how the pandemic is affecting eating disorders and just some more details about how you can support your loved one if they have an eating disorder. Disorder. So, Don, why don't you tell us a little bit more first about where people can find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me at thekennercenter.com. So, Don, yeah. you know, the, the pandemic has been affecting okay. and amplifying everything that we have going on in our lives right now. And I'm sure that there's that's no different for somebody who's dealing with or struggling with an eating disorder. What are you seeing for clients who have eating disorders during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I've seen that uh, people with eating disorders in general, so there are some different groups on this, but for the most part have been suffering. Um, You know, so um, a lot of people are struggling with disruptions in their daily routines and the lack of structure. So people who had been in recovery are are finding themselves relapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of structure that, that might be, a, have been a big component of their recovery, being able to have that structure because structure can help us with mental health, right? Mm-hmm. All of us, even without an eating disorder. Um, and, and they're, you know, having balance, a lot of gyms are closed, even though, you know, obviously we, we talked about exercise and how you don't want to be over-exercising, but having balance and moderation. So now having, a lack of movement can be really hard. And this uh, now we have this new availability to food all the time. Mm. Um, and so it can just fuel a lot of eating disorder thoughts. And there's, uh, there are a lot of jokes about, uh, the, about gaining weight right now during the pandemic. I don't know if you've noticed right. that. Oh, yeah. That can be oh, yeah. particularly triggering. 
Yeah. Um, the COVID-19. Yeah. I've heard that quite a bit. The COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and how about the, just the stress that's on people now, right? There's there's so much stress. There's so much unknown right now. And a lot of people are kind of going to these behaviors that might be more maladaptive in, you know, in, in, all, in all things, right? So yeah. there's overeating. Um, there could be, you know, maybe undereating. A lot of times people, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, engage in eating disorders for some sort of sense of control. Yeah, so finding that, finding that uh, control, finding that sense of just something that works for them as a coping skill, basically. And, you know, we talked about, you know, a way to regulate emotions. If you are super stressed, that eating disorder can just kick in. Um, I've also seen a lot of people that didn't necessarily have a significant history of an eating disorder just develop one over the course of the pandemic, especially a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. It's been so hard on them, you know, not having school, not having that social connection, that structure again. Um, it's, it's just really hard for a lot of people and a lot of people that are already have a history of eating or, or didn't necessarily. Maybe they had, you know, a certain person, again, like we talked about, a certain personality type, maybe some genetic history or something. And then the pandemic hit and it was just, it, it came out and, and fully <laughs> You know, so, I mean, becoming like a serious medical issue. Um, on the other hand, uh, some people have responded positively, even people, you know, struggling with eating or who have been in recovery with eating, um, taking the pandemic, like an opportunity to focus on self-care. Um, I mean, I, I've been talking with a lot of clients about how it's the pandemic is just kind of, I don't have to worry about FOMO now. And maybe that's what a lot of people don't have to worry about either. I mean, maybe social media seems to be a little bit less relevant right now. Not as much to report. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also been increased family meals, which for some people can be triggering depending on what your family dynamic is. But for other people, it's been healing. You know, family meals are, a, are one thing that you can do. Like a lot of times families ask like, what, what are some preventative things we can do? Having family meals at a table together. That's which so much of us before the pandemic really may not have done. When you treat somebody who has an eating disorder, is that part of treatment or just in general? Because it seems like it has such a, just a, an impact on the entire family really that they need to be able to work together to help support the person through it. Yeah, uh, you know, it depends on what kind of approach you're taking. Uh, always involving family or whatever their support system. So let's say it's like a partner, family, even peers is a good idea to, to, to get more support involved, family involvement. It's always recommended if you can. Um, there's also something else called uh, family-based treatment or what other people know is like the Mosley approach where you, you kind of enlist the family and, and they become the treatment providers. And then the other traditional treatment Team members are more of like consultants. Mm. So there's a lot of coaching involved. Um, and definitely, you know, whether you're doing family-based treatment or just regular kind of general eating disorder treatment, it is encouraged to sit at a table and have family meals if you can. That's great. And thank you for talking on the family piece, because I think parents or loved ones in general, even friends, right? There, there's this idea, like, let's take anxiety for an example, right? Some advice might be, well, just calm down, right? So with eating disorders, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, misinformation of, oh, you just need to eat more, or you just need to eat less, right? And it's just kind yeah. of that, uh, you know, general so advice that isn't well informed. No, it's just so invalidating too. You know, like, oh, you just need to right. eat more. You know, I've I've heard that a lot, <laughs> um, and that's just not what it's about. So, I mean, if you are a family member, some sort of support member, a friend, partner, the number one thing you can do is learn about it, knowing mm -hmm. that that's not helpful to say things like that. Um, learning about what this is, what a person is experiencing, what what's it like, it's like for them. Um, and, and learn how to communicate about it instead of 
one, invalidating it, and two, ignoring it, which is what a lot of people do. They, oh, I don't want to talk mm. about it. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to trigger her. I don't want to, you know, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And worse than saying the wrong thing is just not saying anything at all or not doing anything at all. Well, speaking of family, you had mentioned earlier that there, there's a genetic link or a genetic component to eating disorders. Yeah, uh, there's a genetic link in terms of like the shared um, transmitters between dopamine and uh, serotonin for like the for family members and a link between uh, eating disorders and substance abuse disorders. So there's just like this inherited, just like substance abuse is, uh, substance abuse is in the family. It can be inherited. The same thing with eating disorders. Okay. So, you know, anyone who has any history in their family of eating disorders or substance abuse disorders, they could have a higher risk for developing eating disorders. So on a lot of our work is working with couples. So how, how have you seen this impact a, a couple relationship, right? Where either one partner has an eating disorder, maybe both do, and just the added stress to that relationship. Yeah, you know, there are specific things, you know, and you could even generalize this and say just relationships because it can happen in a family relationship or friendship, mm-hmm. but certainly in couples. There, one thing that I see that's a big deal and it becomes a big thing in the relationship is the secretive nature of the eating disorder. Um, and, and we know that secrets in relationships aren't usually very good. They're usually not a positive thing. There is often a lot of hiding um, and distance as a result. So hiding, distance, secrets, those are not good ingredients of a healthy, intimate relationship. Um, some other things that happen is uh, there can be decreased emotional intimacy because there's so much mm. distance. The other piece is there could be hormonal imbalances and calorie in, you know, insufficiency that can lead to a decreased sex drive. So a decrease in physical intimacy. Um, but, you know, on the other side, what's nice, sometimes an eating disorder, not that I want to promote eating disorders, sometimes an eating disorder can be this pivotal piece of not only are you working through an eating disorder, but it's your way through working on improving and, and repairing this relationship. Uh, I once had a client who, uh, I, I didn't do couples therapy with her, but I always invite if they're wanting to have a, like a partner or significant support member come to a session. Um, and I remember, you know, she, she was, she had a severe eating disorder and over, it took her a while, but over the course of treatment, she, she recovered. And at first she was very distant from her partner and there really was a lot of distance. There was a lot of uh, just, uh, there was not a lot of intimacy, whether it was emotional or physical. And over the course of time, they did work on it. And I remember, um, the, the, her husband, who was a really nice guy, uh, it was in this and he said, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to do anything it takes. So he mm-hmm. took full force and really like took, really became a support person. One thing that came out of it was that he needed to listen. His way of being supportive was because he would always go into fix it mode. We see, you know, this happens a lot in relationships and communication. And he just learned how to listen and validate her and provide support. And uh, it was a it was a success story. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I have seen in couples work over the years as well. And there's a few people I'm thinking of that had eating disorders and the partner did feel so rejected because there was a lack of intimacy and there are physical intimacy, especially. And like you said, the hormone imbalance can create obstacles to that. And then just, they would report just feeling so uncomfortable in their bodies yeah. that there was just no interest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so having, you know, having a conversation about that and working on body image, you know, not only the individual, but together and, and for that partner to be understanding about an impatient All right. Well, I think we'll take another quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this fascinating conversation with Don Kenner of the Kenner Center for Psychotherapy in Fremont in Seattle. 
and we're going to be talking about establishing a healthy body image and how eating disorders present in men and additional tips and resources for you if you are struggling with an eating disorder. So stay tuned. You're listening to KKNW. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. All right. Welcome back to Holding Ground. I'm here with the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective, Laura Richer. And then don't forget, you can find us on anchorlighttherapy.com and you can schedule your complimentary 20-minute consultation with us at anchorlighttherapy.com slash get started. And you can find us all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and also uh, the KKNW site, Holding Ground Talk Radio. Um, You can find um, the past episodes on there and, of course, our YouTube channel. Um, So, yeah. Thanks, Michelle. So today we are joined by our special guest, Don Kenner from the Kenner Center for Psychotherapy, and we're talking about eating disorders. And Don, I think a lot of times when people think of someone having an eating disorder, they automatically think of a a younger female or, um, so what about men in eating disorders? Yeah, there are a lot of men that have eating disorders. Uh, There has been some recent increase in research on men with eating disorders. And, but what has been found is that there's a minority of men reporting disordered eating or an eating disorder still. Um, but, you know, we're seeing, and, you know, I, I definitely in my practice, I'm seeing a lot of guys with eating disorders. Um, historically, there's been a stigma that it's been a women's issue, like you said, Laura. Um, and, and the other piece is that a man's presentation might be different than a woman's. Uh, so for men, there's a focus on muscularity, Western views on that ideal body type for men to have a strong muscular body type. Uh, There's an emphasis on fitness and working out. And one thing to look at, it might be this excessive protein intake. Mm. So kind of comparing it to like Captain America body type ideal. And what are some of the dangers of of the the way that this presents, like the excessive protein intake or the over-focusing on exercise? You know, it's, it's not very different from the dangers that uh, present for women who are restricting and purging, you know, in the same way. So, you know, it, it affects men very similarly with the exception of, you know, excessive restricting doesn't lead to loss of menses in men. So for the, historically, again, in the DSM, men couldn't be uh, diagnosed with anorexia, but now they can with the recent update. Uh, so, but I mean, so just a loss in nutrition and it can affect your mood. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it affects your libido. I mean, it it can affect a man or a woman's libido, just like we talked about with, you know, partners and, and, um, uh, you know, hormonal uh, effects. Um, So it's really, you know, very much in the same way. And and a lot, usually accompanied by a, a high level of anxiety, uh, about food and body, very similar to, to, to women. Um, one thing about men that in particular, especially if you're looking at kind of like assessing or looking out for even a loved one, like noticing, like, does this person have an eating disorder? Is that with men, there generally is this history of weight issues as a kid. So a lot of times they perceive themselves as like the big kid or the fat kid, mm. or, you know, they were teased as a fat kid or parents put them on a diet, something like that. 
Yeah, I've actually seen that, Donna, and I'm curious um, about some statistics. Um, so I have had male clients in the past that I've either suspected had an eating disorder or, um, you know, have shared with me that they have an eating disorder. And, you know, these clients in particular are on the skinnier side. So and I, I have seen that link between bullying bully in high school, you know, you're the fat kid, that sort of thing. Um, but men with um, restrictive eating habits or, you know, anorexia and men, you know, because again, you were saying that there's a lot of emphasis on I have to be fit and muscular. And mm -hmm. but what about men who have anorexia? I'm not sure what you mean. Uh... So with men, I mean, is, is there, you know, a comparison, um, you know, percentage wise of eating disorders, you know, the over exercising the over protein intake versus yeah. uh, male clients who are actually anorexic? They're usually, they're oftentimes along the same spectrum, you know, in terms okay. of diagnostic criteria, you know, I can't say they'd have to fulfill like maybe a certain level of their, whatever the weight expectation is for, for their, you know, their body type. So that would be like kind of a medical screening, but oftentimes men who are anorexic do those things, you know, do focus on, and maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, but oftentimes there is that focus and they can end up being anorexic. Mm -hmm. so, uh, but there's a continuum. So, you know, it can go, it's, we're, we're talking about, you know, men on, you know, this focus on muscularity. And there is this focus, just like for women, this, this focus on thinness. But there is a continuum. A lot of men uh, suffer from binge eating disorder as well. Thank you. What are some of the different with binge eating? What is that? How does that present? I know everything is a spectrum, but what do you what do you see for people who have binge eating disorders? What are some of those behaviors look like? So binge eating, the people who engage in binge eating on a regular basis, you know, uh, uh, eating more than a normal amount of food within a binge is defined as eating more than what would be considered a normal amount of food within a two hour period, accompanied by this sense of loss of control mm -hmm. so you know it's and depending on how often you you an individual engages in it they would be diagnosed with binge eating disorder so um i guess it also it's not accompanied by you know like purging or then it might be some other diagnosis but yeah a lot of, that's one of the biggest uh eating disorders that that that's around you know there's a lot of research about it now and uh, a lot of antidepressants, particularly like Prozac or mm -hmm. some other SSRIs, are, uh, there's a lot of research that shows that that helps with binge eating disorder and also with bulimia. So if you have identified that you have traits of an eating disorder or suspect you do, or maybe even if one of your loved, someone you care about does, what are some of the next steps people can take to, to seek treatment? Yeah, you know, I mean, when I mentioned before that the nature of an eating disorder is secretive, don't keep it a secret. Just talk to someone. If it means finding a therapist to reach out to and start talking to them, that's maybe a safe place to start. Uh, turning to a friend, family member, if you can, a partner. If you have, even if, um, you know, there are a lot of, right now, there are a lot of online support groups. Maybe mm -hmm. looking at joining an online support group. Uh, there are whole bunch of them so many different uh facilities are offering them so if you look at any kind of eating disorder facility ANAD has a whole list of them and then there's subset, subset so if you're a family member let's say you're concerned about a loved one or if you're a specific person a specific demographic there's probably a group for it uh, I think that's Great, because, you know, with that secretive piece, right, when we get into support groups and learn, oh, there's a lot of other people here who are struggling with this, right? It's not just me. And it opens up a space where you can start to talk about it without maybe that shame that you might feel with friends or family. Yeah. And yeah. You know, support group is such a great idea, too, because there's also sometimes obstacles to getting into treatment? What do you see for clients, you know, who they're ready to, to get treatment? And then what do you notice happens sometimes? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so sad, because now, well, especially now with the pandemic, so many treatment facilities have wait lists. Mm. So right when someone, you know, a lot of times there's this issue with motivation and readiness to just finally do something about it and go into treatment if, if, if an individual needs it. 
And what, right when they are, they can't get in. That's what I'm seeing. So it's just another byproduct of the pandemic. And what about if you have a loved one, for example, that may need treatment? How do you, how do you broach that topic with someone? Because you had said earlier, the worst thing we can do is not say anything at all. But at the same time, yeah. people are really afraid sometimes that they'll trigger the person they care about or I'm sure offend them in some sort of way. And so... I think the number one thing is educating yourself about it, learn about eating disorders, learn about how to talk about it, you know, because there is this genuine concern of, oh, I don't want to trigger them. Mm -hmm. So learn about it, learn about like, well, how do I talk sensitively about this? On the other hand, no matter how you talk, it's better to do something and say something than just stand by and do nothing at all. Definitely talk about it, do something. If you want to be helpful and supportive, Look at yourself as well. I guess this goes more into like understanding that if you are talking about dieting and food and dry for thinness, if you're talking about, you know, uh, your, look at your own relationship. Is it, are you on a diet? Do you have significant body image disturbance or dissatisfaction? You know, and are you communicating about this? Are, what, what are you like at meals? Are you try to have meals with the person if you can. So in our last couple of minutes here, um, we're hoping that you can share a little bit about how people can establish this positive body image. You know, body image is really tricky because so many people who are working really hard on recovery for an eating disorder still struggle with it. And they say, you know, what's going on? This is still around. And what we've found is that body image is generally the last thing to go. It just sticks around the longest, but it's, never too early to start working on it. And even just cultivate, cultivating these kinds of things, working on body image is just a great healthy thing to do for yourself. So there's a, a, a movement to focus on positive quality skills and talents you have and accept yourself as a whole, just focusing on affirmations, saying positive things about yourself every day. Uh, notice when you have that negative self-talk and, and do your best to Focus on something else. Focus on appreciating and respecting your body uh, and, and shifting focus away than, uh, from, from appearance. Um, there is this other piece of just kind of looking at body image and taking an activist approach. There's a great book from Margot Main called Body Wars, and it goes through different kind of steps you can take to be an activist for a body image. And, and it, like we've talked about before and how social media has been shifting and changing, you can do things too. Uh, ultimately, though, we, comparison is a, a big one. Avoid comparing yourself to others. Just focusing on accepting yourself as a whole and, and recognizing your own unique qualities and differences that make you you. That is such good advice, really, for anything eating disorder related or any other aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you want to get in touch with Dawn, you can reach her at the Kenner Center for Psychotherapy. And Dawn, what is your web address again? It's thekennercenter.com. I am on Facebook as well. Okay. I have a Facebook page. Um, I think I'm on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, thank you, Dawn. And to our listeners, don't forget you can find Laura and myself at anchorlighttherapy.com. Thank you for listening to Holding Ground on KKNW 1150 AM. And thank you for listening if you found us on one of our many podcast platforms. Stay tuned for another exciting episode of Holding Ground here next week, Monday at 9 AM on KKNW. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.